We're going to be in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 this morning. We have been going through the book of Romans as a church, and the way that it fell is we're in Romans chapter 6, which has all to do with the resurrection. So I decided to continue with uh, the book of Romans. We'll be looking at the first uh, 14 uh, verses uh, this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son. That you gave your only begotten son for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. That you've risen from the grave. And because you're alive, our our hope is alive. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with us right now. That you're gathering with us as your people. God, would you speak to our hearts of what the resurrection means for each of us to walk in newness of life. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Would you teach us? Would you instruct us? Christ, would you be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb on the first day of the week. For the Jews, the first day of the week is Sunday. It's still dark, and she's coming to the tomb, and she finds that the stone has been removed. How disturbing this would be for her to know that the grave of her Savior had been messed with. And God reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is the first one that Jesus revealed himself to. But first she sees that the stone has been removed and she goes back to Peter and John. And Peter and John, they run and they come to uh, the tomb. John writes the gospel and he tells us that he got to the tomb before Peter. He outran him. <laughs> These lifelong friends of Peter and John. John's looking methodically, even though he got there first. But Peter, a man of action, goes in uh, to the tomb. They leave, but Mary Magdalene stays. Because her heart is so broken about where's Christ and where is his body. The gardener, she thinks, comes and talks with her. She says, if you'd tell me where they've taken my Lord, I, I'll come and, and I will bring him back to, to his tomb. There's no way that Mary can carry the dead weight of Jesus, but this is the love that she had for Jesus. Jesus then spoke to her, Mary. He called her by name. He knows her by name and she recognized her resurrected Savior. Jesus said this to Mary Magdalene, I'm ascending to my father and your father. And that was the message that Mary was to go and share with the disciples. That's the accomplishment of the gospel. That's what Christ's death, his burial and resurrection accomplishes in our lives, that we're the adopted children of God. In the Old Testament, they didn't address God as his father. It was always Lord. But through Christ's resurrection, we're the children of God, the believers in, in Christ. As we go into Romans chapter 6, if you would think through this question with me is, is what does the empty tomb have to do with my life? What is the empty tomb? How does it impact me? And Romans chapter 6 really answers that for us. So let's begin in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In the book of Romans, Paul spends the first five chapters laying out justification. Justification is to be declared righteous. 
That though we're sinners, if we put our faith in Christ, that, that he justifies us, he declares us righteous. The penalty of sin has been paid for to where we're robed in Christ's righteousness. Amazing gift of the gospel. That's what the empty tomb means for us is that we're justified, but also that we're sanctified. Chapter six brings us into a new division in the book of Romans, focusing on that the power of sin is broken in our lives as well. What good news it is to know that the penalty of sin is broken, but also the power of sin is broken in our lives as well. What if we were forgiven as God's people, but didn't have the opportunity to be able to live differently? And God paid the price for our sin, but also broke the power of sin. If you're thinking about trusting Christ as your savior and believing in him. There's forgiveness of sin, but there's also the power of God to be able to change us and, and transform us. So the question here is, because we're justified, the end of chapter five tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Should we then just continue in sin that grace would abound? Paul answers the question, certainly not. Certainly not means God forbid, perish the thought. If we think of God's grace as a license to sin, we haven't come to understand what God has done for us. I would suggest to you that actually grace, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, the blood of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, the grace of God is the greatest teacher. In Titus chapter 2, it actually tells us that, that grace teaches us to live godly. When we understand the grace of God, it moves our hearts, it wins our hearts, and that grace begins to teach us and instruct us in living for Christ. Another question, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We'll see in these first few verses, if you're taking notes, write down identification. It's our key word Our first of three key words this morning is that we identify with Christ. It's easy for us on Easter weekend to to think about Christ's death, his burial and resurrection, but not really expect for God to move in our lives, for God to, to change our lives. When you came to church this morning, were you expecting that God would would speak to you? And the powerful truth is that we're unified with Christ. In his death. The Bible tells us in Galatians 2 that we're crucified with Christ. So, so all of our sin was nailed to the cross with, with Jesus Christ. So if we died, then we're no longer alive to sin. Sin brings destruction in our lives. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, consequences in our lives. So God in saving us and God in putting his grace into our lives, he wants to take us out of sin for our benefit. Jesus offered the abundant life. He said, I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. If you spent 24 hours with Jesus in his earthly life, he was a man that was filled with joy beyond all of his fellows. Hebrews tells us that, that he was anointed with gladness, Above everybody else. And the reason why is because he hated wickedness and he loved righteousness. 
God desires to do that purifying work in our lives. We're, we're dead to sin and we're alive to God. We identify with, with his death. But we also identify with his burial and resurrection. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so... We also should walk in the newness of life. We're baptized into Christ. The word baptized means immersed. We're, we're immersed into Christ. We were, we were buried with Christ. Water baptism. When people get baptized, they're trusting Christ as their Savior prior to baptism. Believing Jesus died for their sins and rose again. And baptism is that public declaration of faith. It's symbolic of what has already taken place in their life. If you know Christ as your Savior, you, the moment you trusted Christ for salvation, you believe the gospel, you are immersed into Jesus. You're identified with Jesus. Your sin nailed to the cross, but also our sin was buried and we're risen in newness of life. And that's what baptism represents. All my sins been buried with Christ and I'm risen in newness of life. Think of sin in our lives, past, present, future. It's all buried. It's all buried with Jesus. In the spiritual realm, which was taking place as our sin was buried with Christ to no longer be. We're forgiven. The penalty of sin has been paid for. Our sin is removed from us from the east and to the west, but it doesn't stop here. The resurrection takes place and we identify with Christ in his resurrection and we walk in newness of life. The first worship song that we sang spoke of that we are dead in our sins and God called us by name and we come out of the grave. This is the newness of life that he has given to us. Isn't new life so beautiful and amazing. There's a lot of little babies around the church right now. I think it may have had something to do with COVID. I don't know, that whole quarantine deal that, that happened. But it's amazing. Young couple in our, in our church got to meet their son Malachi for, for the first time last night. And he's probably a week old, you know, seven to, to 10 days old. And I was just looking at him and checking him out. And I'm like, man, newness of life. Springtime, when you look at the blossom on the trees and, and the grass, meant newness of life. And, and God gives us newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we're new creations in Christ. That old things have, have passed away and all things have been made new. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're new in Him. This newness of life that God has given to you through the death and burial of resurrection. If you're thinking about trusting Christ this morning, God has the ability to give you newness of life, forgiveness of sin, but also to change and to transform your life, to change you from the inside out. And we're encouraged in Romans chapter 6 to walk in the newness of life. God has given it to us, but he wants us to walk in it. Whenever you see the word walk in the Bible, it's referring to a lifestyle. In this culture, in this time, the way that you had transportation was your two feet. That's how you got everywhere. 
Imagine how many steps Jesus took every day, you know? If we could just find that out on his Apple watch, right? And so we're called to walk in this newness of life. Uh, This last week, my wife and I and our younger two kids, we had an opportunity to go visit an orphanage on the Baja of Mexico. And it's a really special place uh, to my heart because I went there a lot in high school, was in a school ministry where we lived there for uh, three months. And all of the kids at this orphanage are severely disabled. They're, they're in wheelchairs. A lot of them can't, can't talk. It, it's very, very humbling. And a guy named by Juan Carlos, he is two years older than me. And I went to the mission for the first time when I was 14 uh, years old. And Juan Carlos was there. He was 16 years old. Now, fast forward all these years later, and Juan Carlos is still there. He's still there. And he can't, he can't talk. He's, he's in his wheelchair. And thinking about all of the different places that God has taken me in my life, but, but Juan Carlos is, is sitting there in, in his chair. And of all of the instruction that I ever received in Bible college and school ministry, my best teacher was Juan Carlos. And then three months that I got to take care of him. And I think he gave more to me than I gave uh, to him. But let's say that God healed Juan Carlos in this life. God chose to allow him to get up out of his wheelchair, to to be able to walk and talk and, and run and all of those things. What if Juan Carlos is like, you know, I don't really, I don't really want to walk. You know, I don't really want to talk. I don't really want to go in this, this newness of life. I, I, everything I've ever known has been in this chair. I, I'm just going to stay, stay in this chair. Absolutely, he would walk in the newness of life. I think he's ready, right? When he gets his glorified body, he, he's, he's going to be ready. He's ready to go. And, and God has given to us this newness of life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get to walk in it. Or we're dead to sin We're alive to Christ, we identify with Christ, and then we start to walk in this new life that Christ has given to us. In verse 5, for if we were, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if we identify with Christ's death, that our sin has been nailed to the cross, we also identify with his resurrection, in the likeness of his resurrection. We've been united together in the likeness of his resurrection. Meditate upon that. United together, it means grown together. We're abiding in, we're linked to the death and the resurrection of Christ. How important is the resurrection of Christ in our lives? It's everything. It's how we know that our sins are are forgiven. It's the promise of eternal life and that Christ is going to return. It's the power of God to be able to overcome sin and sin not be dominating in our lives. Romans 8 verse 11 tells us the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave lives in us. That's amazing. When we think of the power of the resurrection, Christ rose from from the dead. The same power lives inside of us. And yet, when we come to sin, when we come to struggles and challenges in our lives, we're like, I can't overcome this. You're right, we can't. 
by the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, this newness of life. The Spirit of God leads us in this newness of life. Paul prayed to know the power of the resurrection, and he was a believer, but he's like, there's something there with the power of the resurrection. I'm sure for all of us, there's some sins in our lives that we struggle with as believers where we're like, I'm not sure that I can have victory in this area. I'm not sure that I can change. But the truth of scripture of what we're reading is that God has the power and has already provided the victory and we get to walk in it. God can change that lust. God can change that covetousness, that anger, that that bitterness And we don't have to be in that place where where sin is dominating our lives in in that way. In verse 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. First, identification. Second, liberation. Knowing this. A lot of times when it comes to sin, it's no, no, no. You shouldn't do this. But Paul says, no, 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 K-N-O-W, know and understand this, that your old man was crucified with Christ. What in the world is the old man? Like, I didn't realize my dad was in the Bible, right? (laughs) What's it referring to? It's referring to your sinful nature, my, my sinful nature, this dominating sin in our lives to where Our old man, it's actually crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be done away with. The body of sin, that sinful nature is rendered inactive. What's interesting about our sinful nature as believers is it is rendered inactive, it is paralyzed, but sure likes to scream loud, doesn't it? Our sinful nature is like, just give in to this, this temptation, you, you just have to have a third bowl of ice cream, right? It, it's just, just crying out to us and, and, and tempting us. But we need to remember, no, the, the body of sin has been destroyed. The, the body of sin has been rendered inactive that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This is liberation. I, I think of World War II when Hitler was defeated and the concentration camps were emptied. It was, it was liberation. It was freedom. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ's church, it, it means liberation. It means freedom. It means freedom from sin. The penalty of sin is broken, but the power of sin is broken in our lives as, as well. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. The old man, the old man, that sinful nature has died. And so thus we're, we're free from sin. The freedom that the resurrection of Christ brings in our lives. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. So identifying with his death, but also identifying with his resurrection. The resurrection means I'm going to live eternally. The resurrection of Christ means I'm going to live forgiven. The resurrection of Christ means he's always going to be with me. I'm never going to, to be alone. The resurrection of Christ means there's the power of Christ to be able to overcome sin, relying on his life. Second time the word no is used, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over you. Christ died once, once for sin, never to die again. Risen in his glorified state, the result of Christ's resurrection is that death 
no longer has dominion over you. We also sang it this morning, death, where is your sting? As believers, we look forward to going home to to be with the Lord. Believers that have gone before us, they're safe in the arms of Jesus. Physical death no longer has dominion over us. The the consequence of sin, death, it no longer has dominion over us. Isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he our hero, the hero of our faith, that he can defeat sin? He can defeat death? Hear that this morning. That's good news. Death does not have dominion over you. Sin does not have dominion over you. Verse 10 For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. One of the amazing things that we see about Jesus in the Trinity is his relationship with the Father. Is he ever lived to glorify the Father? In his earthly life, it was all about doing the will of the Father. In his glorified state, he lives to glorify the Father. And we're encouraged to follow his example and we get to Verse 11, and 11 is the application of these truths or the application of the resurrection. How do we apply this uh, to our lives? Isn't application so important? Like, what if you know something, but you, you don't apply it? In most vehicles, there's the gas light. And the gas light's saying, hey, you better pay attention to this. You, you better stop and get some gas, and then you have the conversation with the gas light. But do you know the gas prices? Like, I, I can't afford to get gas, right? And you, and you run out of gas. Some refer to the gas light as the idiot light, right? Because we're an idiot. We didn't stop and get gas. And I've been the idiot a lot of times, running out of, out of gas. I remember a few years back, I ran out of gas early in the morning right out Side my neighborhood and my neighbor was leaving as well. And he's like, he's like, Eric, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I ran out of gas. What? You ran out of gas? Hop in. Let's go. Let's go get you some gas, right? But you got to apply that truth. I'm, I'm low on gas. I've got to fuel up. And this, this truth this morning of Christ being risen and the power of sin being broken in our lives, it's really meaningless if we don't apply it. It's really meaningless if, if we don't take it to heart and say, okay, I'm going to follow the way that Jesus followed the Father. I'm going to choose to live for the glory of the Father. It says, likewise you also. In the same manner that Christ lives, God wants us to live. The reality of Jesus is that he calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him. And he calls us into a life that is far more worthwhile than anything this world has to offer. It's a life of forgiveness. It's a life of grace. It's a life of him changing and transforming our lives. And he wants your heart this morning. He wants your heart. He wants more than an Easter tradition. He wants us to fully be living for him. These are crazy times, aren't they? We're seeing things that maybe we thought we would never see. And I think this is an amazing time to live for Jesus Christ. To have a passionate and real relationship with him. And he's calling you to that. He's calling by name. The resurrected Savior, he comes to us personally and he says, it's time for you to live for me. And for some, you might be saying, 
I need to trust Christ as my savior. I need to be saved and begin this relationship with the Lord and begin following him. For some of you, maybe you've lost sight of this. We can easily drift, can't we? We get our hearts in a hard place and maybe this Easter, you say, I can't believe that I'm at where I'm at. Well, well, guess what? God allows U-turns and he's ready for you to return to him and to welcome you back. For some of you, it's your heart that's strayed. It's, it's your heart. In the story of the prodigal son, you've, you've got two prodigals. You've got the son who took his inheritance and, and went and spent it on sinful living and he comes back. But then you have the older brother that his heart had departed. His actions hadn't departed, but his heart had departed. And he was angry at his father for being so gracious. And has your heart departed from Jesus? Are you loving him? Are you serving him? And the resurrected Savior, he calls us into this amazing life of loving him and serving him and, and him using our lives. Likewise, you, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who knew the Apostle Paul was Texan? I reckon, I reckon, right? That, that's unfortunate that... <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Colorado is superior to Texas, right? That, that's why all you Texans come vacation here. And I was down doing a, a wedding in, in Texas several years ago and talking with these old guys down there. They're like, where are you from? I'm like, Texas. And they're like, well, that's the national park of Texas, right? We, we, we own Colorado. Colorado's our, our national park. I was like, okay, guys, whatever, you know. What does this word reckon mean? It means to compute or to do the math. It's an accounting term to where we're being tempted with sin. Sin is screaming at us that we have to go down this path that we've gone down so many times. But we say, wait a second, I am dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ. The spirit of God lives, lives inside of me and I don't have to give in to sin. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the moment of application, of crying out to Jesus, our resurrected Savior, saying, Lord, help me in the midst of this temptation. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. The victory's been given, but we walk in that victory that we've been given. Don't, don't allow sin to have its way, to sin to reign in us, to obey its lusts. This is where it gets very practical in verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I like that. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. This word present, it means to yield. Yield your members, and it's literally speaking of your eyes, your ears, your hands, your body, your heart, your mind. I'm going to yield it to the Lord to be an instrument of righteousness because I'm alive from the dead. I want to walk in this newness of life that, that God has given to me. If you trust Christ as, as your Savior to begin to walk with him and yield yourself over to him. And, and this is where the battle is. This is where the rubber meets the road is 
Start having thoughts that don't glorify the Lord. God, I'm, I'm yielding my mind to you. Walk in this truth. Lord, I'm giving my mind over to you. Help me. Help me to, to think in a way that glorifies you. God, I'm yielding my, my ears to you. I'm yielding my hands, my feet, my whole entire being to you. What we yield ourselves to ultimately becomes what we become a slave to. And if we yield ourselves to righteousness, we'll become a slave to righteousness. God will build up godly character in us where it becomes part of who we are through God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit of of I'm yielding myself over to righteousness. But the same is true if we're yielding ourselves over to to unrighteousness. I know this is kind of crazy. Some of you are like, man, this is not the Easter message that I thought I'd be getting. But I, I just find it to be so encouraging. So encouraging. The penalty of sin, the power of sin. And we're in a place where we've been going down a road, a pattern of sin. And the resurrected Savior is like, I rose from the dead to forgive you of your sin and give you the power to be able to come out of of this sin. And you might be feeling, man, I'm too far gone. I'm too far down this road. Could God really forgive me my sin and give me the power to live differently? Absolutely. Believers, we might be in a place of like, I don't even want to try anymore. I've tried and failed and tried and failed. I don't even want to try or attempt for victory in this area any longer. And again, our resurrected Savior is like, hey, I'm with you. I am with you. I'll be with you till, till the end of the age. I've freed you from sin. You can yield yourself now to righteousness. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. Let's think about this for a little bit more, a little bit further. If we can believe that Jesus paid for the penalty of sin, don't you think also that we can believe that Jesus paid the price for the power of sin to be broken in our lives? Absolutely. Absolutely, this is all encompassed in what Christ has, has done for us. So present your bodies as instruments of righteousness to God. In our final verse, verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin not ruling and reigning in our lives. The law not ruling and reigning in our lives, but grace. We're under grace. Interesting that God uses this phrase under. It's a covering. We're under the covering of God's grace, of his forgiveness, of his power to to change us from the inside out. The law never brings about forgiveness or transformation, justification or sanctification. What does the law do? The law spurs on rebellion. The law shows us our need for a savior, shows us that, that we're sinners But the law couldn't change or transform us. It's the grace of God that changes us and transforms us. I want to give you a moment just to think about God's grace that's represented in the gift of his son. Here we are sinners, but God gave his son, his only begotten. When the father spoke from heaven, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he loved you enough to give his son for you upon the cross. Jesus took our sin. Our sin was put upon him. He died 
upon the cross for our sin. He's buried for our sin, all of our sin, buried with Christ. And he's risen in newness of life. And it's Jesus that extends to you forgiveness. If you'll receive it. If you'll receive it. The Bible tells us that it's through faith that that we're saved. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's turning from sin, acknowledging that I'm a sinner, and trusting Christ. Jesus, you died for me and rose again. Please hear me on this. Each of you are loved by God, and each of you have the opportunity to choose to believe or reject in Christ. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force you. But that decision that you make with Christ over the course of a lifetime, if you choose to reject Christ over the course of a lifetime, you'll be eternally separated from God. The Bible calls it hell. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And Jesus doesn't want any of you to perish. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants to to give you everlasting life. But will you believe? Will you respond to that free gift of of salvation? In in just a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to lift your hand to the Lord, to put your faith in Christ, to receive that free gift of salvation, to receive the love of God, to be adopted as the son and and daughter of God. And God has the power in Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection to forgive you of, of sin and begin to change and transform your life. We're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven, but man, a huge difference, this, this newness of life that Christ has. You say, my, my life's been given over to, to drugs, alcohol. My, my life's been given over to sexual sin. My, my life's been given over to myself and, and my career. My life's been given over to my pride and I've never seen my need for a savior. And Jesus is here in his death and resurrection and he's ready to save you if you'll turn in faith. And also as, as believers, as, as the child of God, you may be in a place where you're saying, I've walked away from the Lord. I've drifted from the Lord. And this Resurrection Sunday, I want to come back to the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity as well to raise your hand, at, to turn to Christ. We'll pray first with those that want to receive Christ for the first time. And then for those that feel like, man, I need to come back to the Lord. And for all, for all, this newness of life that God has for us to to walk in. As we head out into the rest of today, say, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to Christ. Holy Spirit, help me to walk in this newness of life. Would you pray with me? Let's, Let's pray together. Father, this is the most important time of our time together. And we're asking that you would speak. Would you be gracious to speak? Jesus, you revealed yourself to Saul, who became Paul. You revealed yourself to Mary Magdalene. Would would you be gracious to reveal yourself to our hearts? If you'd like to trust Christ and turn from sin and put your faith in in him, that this makes sense to you and God is calling you, I'm going to encourage you right now to just go ahead and raise your hand to respond to the gospel. Put your faith in Christ and If you'd raise your hand up high, I'm going to pray with you, lead you in a prayer. Also online, the Lord sees you. And if you would raise your hand to the Lord and and pray. And we'll just wait for a few moments and encourage you to respond to the gospel if you'd like to trust Christ as, as your Savior.
and go ahead and lead us out in, in this prayer. And if you're at this place of, I'd like to trust Christ and believe in him, if you would pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sin, that you rose again. I, I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin and receive your grace and receive your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I want to walk in this newness of life. Now I'd like to pray with those where you're saying, I need to come back to the Lord. I I know Christ is my Savior, but I haven't been walking with Him. So would you go ahead and raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you. Praise the Lord. Thanks for responding. Hands coming up all over the sanctuary. I know it can be difficult to respond, but man, it's so good to come back to the Lord. He's, he's longing for you to come back to him. So if you need to respond, raise your hand. And Lord, I thank you for those online and here in the sanctuary that are coming back to you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you, you run to us. You're, you're in a hurry to restore us unto yourself. And may they feel the weight of their sin lifted off of their shoulders. You promise us that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, would you bless them? You can put your hands down and Father, we just rejoice in what you're doing. We, we ask that through the power of your spirit that we could lay hold of this truth that we're new creations in Christ that sin no longer has dominion over us. And we ask for help in these areas that we struggle in continually. And may we reckon the old man dead, yield ourselves to righteousness. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's good.